Welcome to Reteach, a place where professors know that student equity gaps can be closed and are willing to put in the work to figure it out. We are dedicated to our teaching and our students. We are passionate about improving our classrooms and our communities. We can make a difference. We will make a difference. I am your host, Bruce Hoskins, and my mind and heart are ready to learn. So what's up, everyone? So hey, I already gave you a model for day number one in my classroom, and so I'm following that up with a second day of class um, in my introduction to sociology class, right? Because um, I do things, I do different things in my my stats class and my research methods class, but this is definitely a design uh, for introduction to sociology, right? And so my first day of class, I'm just telling you, I'm trying to bring that heat, <laughs> I'm trying to bring that passion to the space, I'm trying to let students know, uh, uh, you know, about me and all this stuff and like how the flow of the class is going to go. On day number two, um, I focus on building community and then connecting them to student services. That's that's my thing that I'm trying to do on day number two. Now, look, if you listen to, to you know, day number one, um, I don't cover any content there. And on second day, I don't cover any content on day number two either. And um, and this is by design, because first and foremost, I know that things are hectic for students and for myself in regards to week number one. And so I'm trying to minimize uh, the, right, the amount of uh, stress that I'm putting on them and also myself. And so it's like, look, I'll be real about it. It's like, look, it's easier for me to have compassion uh, on my students when I also know that this is going to benefit this behavior is going to benefit myself also. Right. And remember, by the way, it's like, look, I can I can afford to do this. Because um, I don't have a content like my my style, my in classroom style is uh, design is not driven by is not a content heavy uh, driven class. Right. And so um, I mentioned that in in previous episodes. And so, um, you know, I just want people to be aware of that as I'm going on. But but here in regards to like the design of the class, I really want to to say that uh, a big part of the design of the class are really why I don't do um, a whole bunch of teaching content if you would, on, on week number one, is that I found out, like we did research and, you know, program review uh, on our campus, which I'm sure other campuses do. And what we found out, right, I'm sure this is different on other campuses, but here at Maricosta, introduction to sociology is like the second or third most likely class that a first time student is going to take um, on our campus. Right. And so then that means a lot to me. That means a lot to me. That means a lot about how I should be thinking about my students and designing the class and whatnot. And so there's a lot of first time students um, that I need to be much more purposeful in regards to what I connect them to and how I build community because they don't know how things work yet at a community college. So that's why I focus in on what I do on the second day of class. So, the, well, the first thing that I, I do on, on day number two is I, I hand out um, the, the multiple choice as their homework. And I, I say this, it's like, if, if you want more about this, uh, listen to the episode in regards to, you know, multiple choice questions and whatnot. Um, but I, I use the multiple choice for the textbook that I wrote and everything. I use that as homework. I give it to them as homework. And so, and then I give them a week to do it. And then when they bring it back, um, when they hand it in, that's when I talk about, you know, chapter number one. And so on day number two, I'm handing out chapter number one, uh, in regards to the multiple choice. And so the next week, 
um, I'm going to uh, talk about chapter number one. I'm going to start there, right? But um, the thing that I really try to make sure that I do in this space is I do an icebreaker. I do an icebreaker where they're in, uh, where I get them moving around and I get them talking to each other and just a really quick thing that I have them do. Um, it, and it works really well. It's very simple and it works really well to get them, get people talking. Cause once people start talking, once they, you know, get all over all that nervous, jittery, uh, energy and whatnot, you know, they just start talking to each other and, you know, amazing things happen when students just talk to each other just because they're talking to each other. It's, it's an amazing space, right? Mine is really simple. Um, but like I said, very effective. And that what I do is I have students, uh, think of an adjective, that starts with the first letter of their first name, right? And so, so what I mean by that, right? It's like, so my name is Bruce, right? And so I'm like, okay, so adjectives uh, that start, uh, you know, with B is like, you know, big Bruce. You can go with bossy Bruce. You can go with belligerent Bruce. I actually, li- I like that one. Uh, that's very descriptive of me. Um, oh, oh, uh, bratty, bratty Bruce was another one. This is one, uh, one, one I thought of, uh, this year. Um, and so bratty Bruce, um, and what I, it's like, so whatever it is, right. It's like, and all of this is just buying students time, uh, to think of their own adjective right now. And so then I give them an example of what it is that I want them to do. And so what I do is I tell them, it's like, so this is what I want you to do now. So once you get your adjective, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get up and I want you to introduce yourself to as many people in this room, in this classroom, using that adjective before your name. Right. And so um, and then I give them an example. And so I have a student who's ready to to say their their adjective in front of their name. And I'm like, hello, uh, my name is Braddy Bruce. And then they say, hello, my name is awesome, Adrian. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so it's like it's something like that. And they get it. And then I say, ready, break. And then, you know, because I'm a football dude. But anyway, uh, and so I ready, break. And then I get them uh, to start moving around in class. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's some classes that jump up immediately and they start walking around class and they start introducing themselves. But uh, don't be surprised that there's a lot of uh, people who are still sitting down after you said, hey, you want to get up and introduce yourself to as many people as possible because, it is. It's a thing. Right. It's like and so they're starting to talk to the people right next to them. And then, look, if they're slow to get up, I will actually say it's like y'all need to get up. <laughs> you need to get up and you just need to introduce yourself to as many people as possible in the room. That's going to require you to get up. And so get up. And so um, after that, then they get up and it's, and it's no problem um, and whatnot. And so. Um, it works out really well, I'm telling you. And then I just debrief it. Um, after that, I give them a few minutes to to, to mosey around and everything. And um, and I actually listen for right the the conversational noise to come down um, and whatnot. And that that normally means that they're done talking or done introducing or whatever. But the good thing that really happens in this space is that although that that kind of energy uh, in the beginning uh, dies down, um, but a lot of times they continue to talk to each other afterwards. And so I really like that. That it's, it's like I said, it's a very fast, easy thing to do that really is effective in getting them to look at each other's face, giving them a shot at knowing each other's name and, you know, and doing something goofy together that's going to uh, pull them a little bit closer together. Now, there's a ton of different, you know, icebreakers and stuff like that. Some of y'all might want to do something more academic and everything, but um, in other spaces, I've, I've said this. And so, but I, it bears repeating here that for me, when I'm doing a classroom, when I'm building community, I want the whole class 
to feel like a community. I don't want to uh, separate out into small groups. I don't do small group work. I've, I understand and I value when people do small groups as a teaching technique and everything, but I don't do any of that because I want the whole classroom to feel like a community all at once. And that's something that's really important to me. And so this, this icebreaker fits that concept, right? Is that I'm going for this bigger sense of community. And so I get them to interact with each other in this bigger sense. That's something that's really important, right? Whatever icebreaker it is that you do, make sure that it leads, that it fits and that it flows with what it is that you're trying to accomplish in your classroom, right? Don't just use some random icebreaker, use something that is purposeful uh, in the space to get you uh, the kind of results that you want. And so then the next thing that I do is that I hand them this this worksheet that I have where, you know, they, they have it and they fill in the blanks and stuff like that that has all these different student services on it, right? Now, here's the deal. I actually have them get up and walk around campus with me and I take them to the student services rather than bringing all these student services into my class. And now I'm going to tell you right now, there are some folks, I, I get it, that your campus uh, does uh, they may do a really good job of doing like a first semester orientation uh, for students and whatnot. But let me assure you of this, even if you're doing this twice, right? It's like if your campus is doing a really good job of having an orientation, our campus is now doing a better job of doing student orientations. We call it Spartan Start and everything. And, and you know, they're even walking people around campus and stuff. And so this is a good thing. And I appreciate that. But this is what I know. And this is what you know. You know that first time, first entering students, that they got a lot of stuff on their mind already. And so that all that stuff that it is you're trying to give them, um, if it's important, it needs to be reinforced, right? And so just giving it to them once is not going to be enough. And so therefore, I don't have any problem with doing something that they might have actually done already. I just want to make sure that they understand, right, that this stuff is really important. It really is important. It's an, it's, and it's important enough for me to not only take time out of class to do it, but actually walk you to the specific services that are happening in the space, right? And so you can create your own, right, your your own student services worksheet um, the things that I have on it, I, I take them over to DSPS, right? Disabled Student Services, uh, Disabled Student Programs and Services. And, I, and, and then I actually, on the worksheet, I have like name three services that you can get from this space. And look, I'm going to tell you, I'm the crazy professor that walks his, his classroom around campus now. It's like, I'm just that dude, right? And so now what happens is that when I walk over to DSP, when I walk the students over to DSPS, I actually um, um, ask someone who's working in the area to actually give them, a, you know, give the students like a one minute spiel about DSPS, right? And it's it's actually amazing. The students, they, they really... Uh, they really appreciate that and um, and, and whatnot. And so um, it's a really good start to do that. Um, and look, I'm nice to people um, and, and, and whatnot. And so uh, people, they just they they really like that I'm doing this. But at the same time, it's like, look, I'm going to tell you this straight up is that if every class decided to do this, this would be completely unsustainable. Um, or you know what? It's not that it's unsustainable. It would just take a lot more coordinating to, to do something like this, right? Because you couldn't go and visit all the same places at once and all of this stuff. But um, so there, there's a way to do this in a bigger, broader sense. But um, this is me doing my thing, right? And so, like I said, I asked people to come out um, and talk about uh, the program a little bit. 
and people do. They they actually love talking to the to the programs, or excuse me, they love talking to my classes. They love talking about their programs. That's why they work in the area, right? And so um, then then I take them over to EOPS, right? Extended Opportunities Programs and Services, um, and you know, list three services that you can get out of this space, right? And so a lot of students they don't even realize that they may even qualify for these services. Right. And so that's what I'm talking to them about. Also, is like, you know, this is for, you know, first generation, low socioeconomic status folks. Uh, students might not even know that those uh, services exist. And so that's another reason why I'm taking them to these spaces. Right. And then I take them over to the scholarship office. Now, here's the deal. All, in, in, at my school, these are all like really close together. So, you know, I'm not doing some big, you know, huge journey and stuff like that. This is actually relatively close together. And so the scholarships office is over there. And again, I can get someone to talk from that space. And they talk about how there's always a money left on the table in regards to students not getting all this scholarship money that's out there and everything. And um, and for that one, um, I asked them to visit the website. So this one is not one that I just fill in for them. Uh, the other ones, you know, they can get filled in. But this one is you have to go to the website and then uh, pick three scholarships that you qualify for that. Right. Um, that you would think about applying to. And clearly this is an important thing. Right. To get students to be connected, not only to the student services, but get connected to that money. Right. Um, And to think, uh, you know, it's like and to to try to access those resources and whatnot. And so that's what um, is happening in that space. And then I walk them over to student, excuse me, to service learning. I walk them over to service learning because um, for my class, uh, they have an option. They have a service learning option. They can opt out of the final and the and the four reading responses in the class by doing a service learning, by doing 15 hours of service learning and then reflecting, uh, doing reflection paper on that. And so I do that um, and walk them over there so they get to know the people, they know the place and uh, and all of that. And I'm really hoping uh, that this year, I think I give the I, gi- I think I give enough incentives to where st- there will be more students that are going to engage in that. Because look, I'm you know let's just be honest. Uh, I don't know. There's a whole bunch of students that ever said that taking a final changed their life. But I've heard on numerous occasions how service learning has changed students' lives and changed students' direct uh, trajectories in their life. Right, and so that that's something that's really important to me. And then I walk them over to the social justice and equity center. Now that's what we got. I don't know what y'all got, but I know that. Um, this is an important stop and that uh, there's a lot of events that happen in this space. There's some really cool people. And again, they have some really cool services in that space um, and whatnot. And so, you know, walking them into that space um, and letting them know, it's like, look, we we got stuff that, you know, focuses on social justice and on student equity. And we got we have a space. Now, the space is small. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie. Our space is really small. Um, but, you know, it's I'm hoping that introducing enough students to this space and getting them to use this space will actually force our college to uh, expand the boundaries or find a bigger space for the social justice and equity center. Right. And then um, uh, uh, close by is the student government space. I talk about that. Believe it or not, I actually used to be um, student body president, student trustee. They didn't have it split back back in my day. They didn't have it split up. Um, the same person did both student trustee and uh, student body president. And so I was student trustee and student body president for two years. Uh, while I was at Maricosta myself. And so, you know, I tell the students that I tell them to get involved. Some of the best things that have ever happened to me happened when I got involved uh, in uh, in student government. But all of that started when I joined a club. 
And so, and I'm mentioning that because another stop that I have is a club room. We actually have a club room, and in that club room, there's designated spaces for BSU, uh, for Mecha, and for GSA, uh, which is Gay Straight Alliance. Um, and so, uh, but everyone's anyone's allowed to use that space. It's just there's designated space for those three clubs in that space. So before I was student body president, I was. I was the BSU president. Well, we didn't call it BSU at the time. That was the time when uh, everybody was changing their BSUs into African-American student unions. Um, but then we went back to be to, to black student union. Um, be that as it may. But <laughs> like, that's a lot of history right there in that statement. But when we're talking about uh, clubs, I tell them, look, when I was here, I was here for four years as a student. And that in year number one, I really didn't do a whole bunch of anything. Like I wasn't connected to any clubs or anyone um, and whatnot. But in year two, that's when the Rodney King verdict happened and and the ensuing rebellion happened after that. And so um, when that happened, that's when I became activated um, and and got involved in student activities and things like that. And and so the very that the very next year I became um, you know, African-American student union president. Um, and then, uh, you know, two, you know, for the next two years after that, I was student body president, student trustee. And so I like telling students, it's like, look, getting connected means something. Right. And is that and that, you know, getting connected to student government that created actual job opportunities for me later on um, and whatnot that not that that's the goal. But yet at the same time, you know, like some people, they need to know that there's things that that these things have, you know, a a, a purpose to it. Right. It's like or that they'll, uh, you know, benefit you in some way or whatever. But um, for me, it was all about growth. And that's what um, I really valued in the space. And it really helped me uh, grow as a person. Right. And so uh, then the next stop that I take them on is the cohort programs that we have here, meaning like Mana, uh, who focuses on uh, Pacific Islanders on our campus. Uh, we have Emoja and that focuses on uh, black students. Uh, Puente is for, you know, Mexican, Mexican-American or Latinx students um, are in Puente. And Rafi is for, uh, you know, uh, children who are foster, you know, foster youth or wards of the state um, and whatnot. Those are the folks in Rafi. And so we have all those folks in in a general, like the same general area. And I take them in there. Um, I ask them to write down um, the uh, counselors' names and stuff like that, the, the counselors for the spaces, just in case. Right. Just in case um, they they might want to join or be part of that um, and all and, and whatnot. And so, you know, the backup just real quick for the club room. Uh, when I take them there, the, the prompt that I give them is uh, name three clubs that you would be interested in joining. And at our campus, uh, we have like 40 clubs um, and whatnot. And so, um, you know, just really value trying to get students connected to each other. Right. Because that's what's going to help them. Uh, stay and so, like I said, so next is the cohort programs, and then the next stop on the trip is the tutoring center, right? And our for us, our tutoring center, our writing center, our our STEM center, those are all in the same space, um, and whatnot. And so I take them into that space, and I, you know, just to you know, get them exposed as to what's going on there. Let them know that you know, tutoring is for free. Y'all, you know, this is while well, it's included in your you know your tuition and everything and and whatnot, and just getting them connected to. Uh, you know, to to that space and everything. It's it's really you know it's real. I, clearly, it's really important to get them connected uh, to to tutoring. And then the last stop on my uh, trip is actually my office. 
And that might be really weird to folks um, and whatnot. But, you know, I stopped them at my or I stop them at my office because I want them to actually see where it's at, because most people um, it's, it's actually kind of hard to find. <laughs> so that, that there is actually something very functional about it. But the other thing is that it's like, look, folks, this is where I'm at. And um, then I tell them about the the times that I'm there to help students, right? Which I know most of us would actually say, use the phrase office hours. I actually am like trying to not use the word office hours. Um, I don't necessarily like the word student hours because that's still, for whatever reason, uh, students, they really don't quite understand what office hours are for when, when, if you were to, I'm, I'm guarantee you, and I'm actually going to probably do this uh, just to like figure this out. It's like, what do students think of when they think of office hours? Like, what do they think it's for? Um, and uh, from my understanding and me interacting with students, that the vast majority of students think that office hours are times when the professor is going to be in their office doing work and not understanding that it's actually a time when a professor's in their office waiting for students to come in order to, because the students, talking to the students is the work that they're supposed to be doing in that space. And so anyway, so I try to, you know, I'm trying to give a, a different, like, you know, the name and title for, you know, that replaces office hours. And so right now I have um, time where I'm uh, times that I'm there to help students or something like that. And I know it's like a, a lot of words and everything, uh, but I really think it's it's worth doing something like that. Right. And so lastly, I want to actually share with you like something that I did a little bit different in in this second day because, you know, it was like it, we, we were missing a day from week one because we started on MLK right, week. And so I allowed myself to do something a little bit different. And um, what I did is I uh, decided to read a poem to, to the students. But I was actually fighting against that. I really was fighting against it because I'm like, man, this is a whole bunch of you know stuff that I'm trying to do. And walking them around campus always takes a long time. And so if I do this poem, though, it's going to take a lot of time. Um, however, I felt compelled to do this poem because it's a poem about my mom passing away and um, and how for a long time after my mom passed away, my mom passed away about six years ago or so now, and... Um, and I'm a spoken word poet. When she passed away, I hadn't wrote for a long time. And this poem was when I started writing again. And so the poem, it starts out with, um, I haven't been able to write in a long time. I blame it on my mother. She took my pen to heaven because she needed it to write down everything that she couldn't say to me on earth because she didn't know the words in English. Right. And then it continues from there. And there's this line in there, like my heart was really being pulled in this space and I didn't quite understand why. And uh, the, the, the final tipping point for me was that it was my mom's birthday. And so the day I did this poem, it was my mom's birthday. And so that was my tipping point because I wasn't going to do it and everything. But then I saw it was my mom's birthday and I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to I'm going to do this poem. I'm going to analyze it and do the sociological thing with it. But I want to, you know, I want to honor my mom and I want to let my students know that I'm human and that human things happen to me also. Right. And so then the cool part of this is that there's this line in there. Uh, my mom is Japanese. I think I've, I've said that on another episode, but my mom is Japanese and I don't know how to speak Japanese. And, but there was this, this thing that she would always say to us, she would always say, and um, I've said this on numerous occasions to Japanese people 
young Japanese people and a lot of people, they just didn't know. They did these Japanese folks. They didn't know what that meant. Now they knew what Baka meant. Baka means stupid, <laughs> right? So she, my mama was basically, she's cussing me out, right? Or not cussing me out, but she's just saying stupid, right? It's like you being stupid um, and whatnot. And that's how I always interpreted it. But I'm like, look, Baka means stupid. So what is the Tarine Bakdakumo? What does that mean? And so for the five years that I've had this poem, like no joke, for the five years that I had this poem, uh, Japanese folks, they could not interpret that for me. They couldn't figure they they didn't tell me what that the translation of that was. But today or on that day, this time when I read it, there was a young Japanese woman who was in the crowd. And she was able to finish off the translation, which you know, I kind of understood what it meant, but for her to be specific about it, she was like, Tari means like idiot. And then the, the name of Takumo, like that part, the, the ending part of that, that's kind of like, uh, what were you thinking? Or like, you know, like just kind of like an expression afterwards of like, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Right. So it was like, basically it was stupid idiot. What are you doing? Like, what, what, what's that? Right. <laughs> and that is exactly what my mom was intending when she was saying that statement. And so that's why, um, it meant a lot to me. Uh, it meant a lot to me that this person was there on a day that I didn't even want to read this poem. Um, and interact with a class in this way that she was there to translate something that I had been waiting for a translation for however many years. And that was just really cool to me. And it really made me think of the fact that I almost didn't share this part with you just because I normally don't read a poem on day number two of class and stuff like that because it takes up so much time. And, and then, you know, when I have a third day, that's where I normally read a poem. We do a lot of anal- uh, uh, you know, analysis in that space. But I wanted to encourage people that even if you have this kind of uh, set way of doing things to, to allow yourself to continue to try different things. And um, in this particular case, you know, follow your heart. My heart was definitely leading me to do this. And I did it even though, you know, I could have I could have definitely have done without doing that and it would have been just as fine. Right. But I decided to follow my heart. And if you follow your heart, um, at times you might be surprised where it might lead you. Anyways, that's all I got for this episode. I hope you learned something. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Reteach. If you want to learn more about me or my open source introduction to sociology textbook, please go to brucehoskins.com. In closing, I want to leave us all with a question. If you learned something today that you think would help close your student equity gaps, how long will it take to incorporate this into your classroom? A year? A semester? Next month? Today? No matter the timetable, we must commit ourselves to becoming better teachers. Our students deserve it. All of them not just the ones that are good already.